Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. As I think about what Bonnie just played, Jesus loves me. A song that, if you grew up in church, if mom and dad took you to church, you knew that song, didn't you? Jesus loves me. But we now live in a society that people do not know that song because grandma and grandpa maybe don't go to church. Mom and dad don't go to church. And I bring that up because we literally are in a mission field to where we can reach out and at least share the gospel and reach out to children who don't know that song, who may not ever know that song that Jesus loves them. With that being said, join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank you that we can come together and worship you and rest in the truth that Jesus does love us, that he loved us so much that he gave his life for us. I pray, Lord, that that will never grow calloused, will never grow cold that we will always live in that faith, in that truth, and worship you for who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. We are continuing our study of the book of Romans, and, and believe it or not, we're starting a new chapter this morning in Romans chapter 10 as, as we go through the book. And if you recall... In a number of points along the way, I have given a very rudimentary outline of the book of Romans just to keep everything tied together as we progress. And if you remember, I pointed out that Romans chapter 1 through chapter 8, Paul is outlining the plan of salvation, the need for salvation. And as he comes to closing thoughts in chapter 8, he lays out the doctrine of predestination that God picks, man does not. And then in chapter 9, anticipating the arguments regarding the doctrine of predestination, especially as it surrounds the Hebrew people, God's chosen people, he rhetorically starts asking some questions in dealing with the theodicy of God. In other words, You can say that Paul is putting God on trial, if you will, regarding his actions and his thoughts by asking some questions and then giving the answers to those questions regarding God's justice in his actions. Martin Lloyd-Jones commented as he preached through chapter 9 that chapter 9 tells us how men get saved and how other men are condemned. And regarding the condemnation of men, men are condemned because they choose their own sin. And this leads us to the opening of chapter 10. And I want to point out as I open chapter 10, that chapter 10 opens up in the same way that chapter 9 opens up. If you recall, Romans 9, starting at the beginning of the chapter, Paul says, I tell you the truth in Christ, I'm not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, 
that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh who are Israelites. In other words, Paul's saying, I would rather be accursed if my countrymen could come to know Christ. And in chapter 10, you see a very similar opening. In verse 1, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. So both at the beginning of 9 and at the beginning of 10, Paul is lamenting the state of his own people. And he's lamenting them not only because they are his countrymen and they do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, but he's also lamenting the fact that they had great privilege as it related to God. Unlike the rest of the world, the Hebrews saw God. They saw the actions of God. And in fact, if you look back at Romans 9, let me remind you in verse 4, as Paul describes the Israelites, he says, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. They saw it. Think about that. Think about all of the things that the Hebrews witnessed. They witnessed the plagues before they are delivered from Egypt. They witnessed the crossing of the Red Sea. They witnessed the cloud. They witnessed the pillar of fire. They witnessed manna on the ground. They witnessed water coming up from a rock. But yet they do not know the Lord. In fact, it makes it doubly worse in the fact that they were in the pursuit of righteousness. As... Paul closes out chapter 9 in verse 31. He described the Hebrews like this. He said they were pursuing the law of righteousness, but yet they had not attained the law of righteousness. They were in pursuit of it. They were in pursuit of righteousness. One would think if you saw God move, if you saw miracles... If you were pursuing righteousness, one would think that one could find God. What went wrong? Why couldn't they see God? Why couldn't they see God, yet they saw all of God's actions? Why couldn't they accept? Well, Paul tells us in our focal passage this morning, and we're going to verse by verse go through Romans 10, 1 through 4. I already covered verse 1, but look at verse 2 because Paul starts telling us why they would not accept. Romans 10.2 says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Now Paul knows something about zeal. And in fact... As he stands up to address his fellow countrymen in Acts chapter 22, starting in verse 1, he mentions that he himself had zeal. If you want to turn with me in your Bibles to the 22nd chapter of Acts, 
as Paul addresses the Hebrews of Jerusalem. And in verse 1, he says, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law. And look at what he says next. And was zealous toward God as you all are today. And as Paul stood up and as he addressed the Hebrews as one who had met Christ, he recognized that zeal, zeal alone, isn't going to get you anywhere. You can have zeal, but you can be totally misguided. Just look at all of the protests that we saw in this nation most recently. As we saw people burn down their own neighborhoods in cities, I would submit to you that those people had lots of zeal, but they were misguided in their truth. You can have all of the zeal you want, but you can have misguided zeal. And this is how Paul described the Hebrews in Romans 10.3. He said, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness. They had zeal, they had passion, but it was not directed in the right area. Why? Well, it's because they had built their own system. They had departed from the teachings and truths of God and they had built their own system. And what was the purpose of that system? Look at 10.3 again. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness. Their own righteousness. Jesus spoke of the Jews having their own system in Matthew 23. As he chastised the scribes and the Sadducees, he said in verse 4, For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders. In other words, with the legalist of that day, it wasn't just the truth and teachings of Scripture. They added something on top of it. They added their own system. And their own system was designed so that they could pronounce themselves righteous. A zeal for their own righteousness. We shouldn't be surprised about men wanting to build a system of righteousness for themselves. In fact, the Bible is full of examples of people who wanted to discard the teachings and truths of God and build their own system of righteousness. 
Let me give you some examples. Cain didn't like God's system, did he? And he wanted his own system. He wanted his own acceptance and righteousness to where he could stand before God. He was so convinced that he was going to be right. What ended up happening, even though God told Cain, sin lies at the door for you, he was so zealous towards his own system that he slayed his brother. Just one generation removed from Adam and Eve. One generation from walking in the garden. Do we find Cain wanting to build his own system? The Hebrews ditched God's system as they were at the base of Mount Sinai to make a golden calf to create their own system after they had just been delivered from the bondage and slavery of the Egyptians. Nadab and Abihu created strange fire, a different system. And in fact, Leviticus 10 tells us, Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, and put incense on it and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. In the New Testament, we can see that Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, he wanted to purchase God's system. He looked at it as something of commerce. Well, if I could purchase the system of God... If I could command the Holy Spirit to come and abide in the hearts and minds of men, I can make a lot of money off of that system. All of the examples that I just gave you, they all had three things in common. First, they were zealous. They were committed. Secondly, They all wanted to establish their own form of righteousness, their own form of acceptance. And lastly, they were unwilling to submit to the teachings and truth of God. That's what Paul says in Romans 10.3, having not submitted to the righteousness of God. They wanted to build their own system and they didn't want to submit to the system of God. This is Israel's disobedience. And we're going to continue to look at that as we study Romans chapter 10. They knew about God, but they didn't know God and they didn't want to submit to God. In Acts, right before Stephen became the first Christian martyr post-resurrection, he called the Hebrews something that is a name that God used to describe the Hebrews all throughout the Old Testament. If you look at Acts chapter 7, As he addresses the Hebrews, the Israelites, 
In Acts 7 verse 51, he uses this name that you will find throughout Old Testament scripture. Stiff-necked. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Now, what does that mean? Stiff-necked. It means that you are unwilling to conform. Right? You're unwilling to submit. You're unwilling to accept. That you're fighting all along the way. And in fact, if we took a review of the Old Testament, one of the things that pops up time and time again is Israel's response to God being stiff-necked. They didn't want to submit. They wanted it their own way. They wanted their own system. And in fact, in Acts 7.51, as Stephen's addressing the Hebrews, he says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. What does it mean to be stiff-necked and uncircumcised? Well, if you think about it, Stephen says they were uncircumcised in their heart, in their mind. Well, if you go back to Old Testament circumcision, what was it? It was your identity. It was your identity that you were a Hebrew. That's how you identified yourself as a Hebrew male. That your identity is, I'm with God. I'm of the covenant people of God. This is my identity. It was something different than the rest of the world did. It was your setting apart. And here Stephen addresses the Hebrews. He says, you are uncircumcised in your heart and in your ears. In other words, your identity, your commonality isn't with God. It said you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. They weren't willing to submit. And this isn't just the problem of the Hebrews. This is the problem of all mankind who doesn't have a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a refusal to submit. As I was putting my comments together, it made me think of the rich young ruler in the New Testament. If you recall, the rich young ruler approaches Christ and he goes, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Christ told him, well, you've got to obey the law. And he flippantly responds and says, well, I've done that since my youth. What else? Christ tells him to sell all that he has. He couldn't do it. And some people look at the rich young ruler and they want to say, well, it's about riches. But the story of the rich young ruler isn't about riches at all. It's about submission. It's about submitting to Jesus Christ. It's about submitting to his truth. It's about having a total reliance on Christ. And the rich young ruler couldn't do it. They couldn't submit. 
The Hebrews couldn't do it. They were stiff-necked. They couldn't submit. When one truly comes to Christ, we submit to the teachings and truth of Jesus Christ. And through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we're transformed. We submit to Christ. We submit to His ways. And I'll tell you that I believe that we're living in a time where the line between being a Christian and a non-Christian is getting more and more evident because as we see society still continue to slide in cultural decay, one must make a choice. It is clear what you can do as a believer and what you can't do as a believer. It's not fuzzy. There's clarity. And the clarity comes... To when we submit to the truths and teachings of Jesus Christ. But unfortunately, there's people that have their own personal system. But there's something wonderful that happens when you embrace Christ. Colossians 2, 13 through 14 tells us what it's like. In verse 13 of Colossians 2, Paul writes, "...and you being dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him." He made us alive. Having forgiven all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which is contrary to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. He made us alive. He made us alive. The Hebrews never had that. They had the outward exhibition of religion, but they didn't have a relationship with Christ. See, when we have a relationship with Christ, we no longer have to struggle in our system. And what I mean by that, and I've said this often as I've preached, I would venture to say that if you and I went out into the community after church and we went door knocking and you ask a question that used to be asked in door-to-door evangelism, and that question was, if you died today... Why would God let you into his kingdom? And I would venture to say if we took that question and we went around and we knocked on doors and we started asking that question, invariably what ends up happening is is that people would say, God would allow me into his heaven because I haven't murdered anybody and I haven't stolen anything. Pretty low bar, right? Well, what have they just told us other than just a real simple question? They just told us that they have a system. They have a system. All mankind has a system. And that system is built so that they can be self-righteous. That they can find themselves acceptable just in case that there's a God. They may not accept that there's a God, but just in case that there's a God, one of the things that they will say is, is that God will allow me into his heaven because I haven't stolen anything. And... I haven't killed anyone. A low bar. But we're all guilty, aren't we? We're all guilty. We've all been convicted. There's none that are righteous. No, not one. 
Since my mom's here this Sunday, I'll tell you that I would not be able to say that I was free from theft when I was a kid. It was Halloween. And we were in Eckerd's Pharmacy in Houston. And I asked my mom for a Halloween mask. I already had a Halloween mask. You're not going to get another. There's this pirate mask. I really wanted it. And I was mad because mom wouldn't get me the mask. So I reached out and I took a little piece off that pirate's beard and I stuck it in my pocket. And as all kids do, not very bright, I got home and I started playing with the beard in my hand. My mom said, where did you get that? Well, a piece of the beard had fallen off. I'm digging my hole deeper. And so then mom not only spanks me, but then she takes me back up to Eckert's to confess my sins. See, we're all guilty. We're all guilty. Regardless of the system that mankind builds, we all find ourselves guilty. And the gospel of Jesus Christ takes that away. There's no system that you can build where you will find yourselves acceptable. But you've got to submit. You've got to submit. The Hebrews system was basically built upon race. In fact, if you look at the New Testament quite frequently, John the Baptist warned, don't say you're of Abraham. Don't say you're of Abraham. They told Jesus, we're of Abraham. In other words, they said, we're okay because I was born into it. That was their system. I was born into it. That was their system. And I'm afraid that that's where we find ourselves in the American church today. That it has become a cultural thing to say, I'm okay because I guess I'm a Christian because mom and dad had a relationship. Or grandma and grandpa had a relationship. And the church is getting more and more gray and more and more empty. Now let me give you an example of this. I was talking to someone this week about this. They said that they were leaving their church and they have a soccer field by the church. And it's packed Sunday morning. The soccer league's playing soccer on Sunday morning. That would have never happened when I was a kid. T-ball, Sunday morning. Soccer, Sunday morning. I grew up when Wednesday night was sacred. You weren't going to have t-ball or soccer. And the line is getting clear. But unfortunately, you have few and few people that stand up and say, my kid's not going to participate. Let me tell you something. If enough people would stand up and look at the t-ball team or the soccer team on a Wednesday night and say, we're believers and we're not going to participate in sports on Wednesday night, guess what happened? We quit having them. But everybody says they're okay. They're okay because they have this system because somewhere along the line they have this Christian heritage that makes it okay in their system. It reminds me of the words of Christ in Matthew 15. In verse 8, He said, These people draw near to Me with their mouth and honor Me with their lips, but their heart is far from Me. 
I don't care what you say, it's how you live your life and where you put your confidence in. The Hebrews said a lot of things, didn't they? They had a system that did not work, but in their mind they thought they were okay. But the only system that works is the gospel and truth of Jesus Christ. And as we celebrate Mother's Day, and here in a couple of months we'll celebrate Father's Day. And some people say, well, I've already raised my kids and my work is done, and we know that it's not true, that you're always a parent. One of the things that I think we need to encourage this next generation is you need to be embracing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's just not about what you did a long time ago. As people say, well, yeah, I walked the aisle 20 years ago, or I went through confirmation 20 years ago, or whatever, I'm okay. Mom and dad, yeah, we had this relationship with the church, so I'm okay. That's the battle that we're fighting right now. And there's a battle, my friends. Because as we think about the millennial generation, I know that there's exceptions, but by far, they're absent. They're absent. And it's up to us to speak the truth. It's up to us for us to do the battle. For us to tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't just the outward trappings of religion. It's about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're in battle right now with society. And Christ said in Matthew that we're the salt and the light. It's up to us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the only way that man can have peace and acceptance before a holy and righteous God. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for your truth. I just praise you, Lord, that we don't have to strive in our system, that we can rest in Christ, that we can rest, that we can have peace, that we can have joy. And I pray, Lord, that we might have a zealousness for evangelizing a lost world. I pray, Lord, that we take the Great Commission seriously, that we'd embrace it, that we would tell a lost world that there's only one way to peace and happiness, and that's through your Son. I pray, Lord, that if there is someone listening through sermon audio that's never accepted Christ, I pray, Lord, that today would be the day that they'd ask for forgiveness of sins, that they'd ask for Christ to be Savior in their life, and that they'd turn to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. 
we have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, milkcreekchurch.org.